My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us today. Uh, thank you all that are online. Appreciate y'all being here as well. So we're in Philippians chapter 1. Grab your Bibles. Uh, Dave, let's go to the next slide if we could. And we are on pages, ta-da, ta-da, oh, <laughs> that's when you have a lot of faith, like you just, I don't even, there we go, all right, so we're starting on page 79 today in our uh, green book, so you've got your green book, that's where we're at right now, uh, if you don't have a green book, uh, I was just reminded, like this is what the green book looks like, uh, and you can find it at OurSundaySchool.com, uh, so I would encourage you to go and to do that. Uh, but while we are flipping to page 79, I'm going to read through Philippians chapter 1. I'll read all of chapter 1. I still, I still, still want to read all the Philippians every week. <clears throat> and we will just be in Philippians 900 weeks if I take the time to do that. So... But I need to express that every once in a while, that my desire is to still do that. So, All right, so let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. Most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word fearlessly. To be sure, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. These preach out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The others proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, thinking that they will cause me trouble in my imprisonment. What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I'm torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. 
Since I am persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw, I had, and now hear that I have. Philippians chapter 1. Those of you that occasionally get here really early know that I take a hit, uh, actually two hits of an inhaler about 20 minutes before Sunday school starts, and sometimes it kicks in right when I'm reading, and I think I can do more in one breath than I actually can, and then I end up with a sentence feeling like this when I'm reading. So uh, that happened twice that time, so if you're wondering what happened, that was going on. All right, so let's start with page 79 in your green books. Uh, So we had just finished up one of the, I don't know the right adjective to use here, uh, epic lines in the New Testament, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, And then we begin today at the bottom of page 79 with the word now. So Paul Paul was looking forward, so he's coming back to his present situation, his present circumstances. It says now, and now we're on page 80, so that's as long as we're going to spend on page 79. There you go. It's just one word. Sometimes it happens that way. Uh, now, if I live on in the flesh. So what is he talking about here? Because is, doesn't Paul use the word flesh in a very negative way in the New Testament? Like, isn't flesh associated with sinfulness and evil desires and wickedness? And like, so, so is he saying, now if I am evil and if I'm wicked? What's he talking about here, Shannon? If I live, right? If, as opposed to what? Living in heaven with Christ, right? So it's, he's, he's drawing this distinction. And I, here's one of the things I love about Paul. Just when you think you've got him pinned in on the way he... See what I did there, pinned in? There you go. I was waiting for Dave to grunt. So, uh, Just when you think you've got him pinned in on a, on a specific word, he'll use it in a different way. You're like, ah, yeah, because words are flexible, right? We have ranges of meaning. Yeah, so this is, put this a different way. Uh, if I am found to be innocent in my upcoming trial, right? So he's going he's to talk about his options here. So now if I live on in the flesh, this, and now we're on page 81. And we've got an, Eng- there's several English words that are added here. And there, we'll talk about why they're added in just a second. Um, but this, this word for means is added in the English because there's really not a, there's not a, a word that helps us connect the, um, the broken type language that Paul is using here. But this means fruitful work. Uh, so this word fruitful shows up twice else in Philippians. It shows up in uh, 1.11 where Paul prays for the Philippians to be fruitful. And then it shows up again in 4.17. Uh, and the, the context of 4.17 is a little bit different. So he says... Uh, uh, for even in verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. 
And that word profit in 417 is the same word for fruit. So the idea here is that there is there's something that comes in after an initial investment has been made that has a return on the original investment. We may not typically think of the fruits of the Spirit as God's return on investment, but it is an interesting way to think about that because God has, he has given us the Spirit and there is an expected return of behavioral life change that comes as a result of that. And that change is actually a profit to God's people. Which, okay, cool. Now, that's as far as I hope I ever go into capitalism and theology, mixing those two, right? So that's it. I don't want to press any farther than that. That's it. But I did want to lean into this word because Paul uses it a few different times in different ways in Philippians. So if I uh, live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for, for me, right? Because Paul wants his life to be fruitful. Paul wants his life to be beneficial. So let's do a couple, uh, an application and a personalization down at the bottom of page uh, 81. Oh, thank you, Dave. This is the text that we're going to be covering today. These three verses, Lord willing. Great. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, Application here is that work can be fruitful. Work gets a bad rap many times in our modern day culture. Work is this, oh, I've got to go to work. Oh, I've got to go do this work. Oh, I've got to do, right? I guess I just gave you what my initial response to work was many times, right? Sorry, boss, if you're watching. He doesn't watch, so it's okay. Um, but work can actually be fruitful. Uh, maybe. Is there any mention here that Paul says he enjoys the work? I don't know. I think there actually might. I was trying to set you up for a yes. <laughs> I think there actually is some, um, some enjoyment that Paul has. Uh, because if he views the fruitful work that he is able to do for them and he is hard-pressed to choose whether I should be with Christ or whether I should do fruitful work for you, how does that, like, oh, that changes the way we think about how Paul views about his work. Like, this is a really good thing. So I'm glad you asked that question. I don't know that I'd have leaned into that today. It's a good question. Please keep asking questions. It's good. So this means fruitful work for me. And and then you've got this, uh, so sorry, application work can be fruitful. So what do we do? Uh, Examine our work for fruit of the spirit. Like if I go back and I look at the work that I do, do I see evidence of the fruits of the spirit with the work that I do? And when I say the word work, what I'm not necessarily talking about is I clocked in, I clocked out. Like there is other work that we can do our work in our homes, our work in our churches, our work in our uh, jobs, our work in our communities, right? This is the work that I do. Does it have fruits of the spirit that can be seen? So uh, if I, sorry, if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me. And I don't know which one I should choose. So top of page 82 here. Um, oh, let's, go, let's look at this quote from Hansen real quick. Hansen was all over it. I mean, just 
unbelievably rich uh, commentary that he had in probably half a dozen pages. So Paul did not view his work as a grim duty or as a burdensome obligation, but as the fruitful outflowing of God's faithful inworking. So God puts in, God works out, it's all God, it's for God, it's by God, it's actually through God, and it's, the result is God's, which that's a really good way to put it. So let's go to the next slide, Dave. So, so at the bottom of page 81, he says, I don't know which one, and the top of uh, page 82, which one I should choose. If you look at how many words in that top phrase, one I should choose, the, the word choose is the only one that has brackets after it. This is, like, the English is so problematic here. It is so challenging. Um, like, it is, it is really, really tough to see what is going on because there, there are not enough Greek words to make a smooth English translation. Um, and a lot of commentators will lean into some type of a thought that sounds like... Um, uh, well, well, we'll get there in just a second. We'll get there in just a second. I'm very excited about today's lesson, if you can't tell. Uh, so this future, so we're at the top of page 82, this one I should choose, this word, uh, this verb, uh, haramai, is a future middle indicative. And if your brain just kind of twisted itself into a knot there, we, we don't see a lot of future middle indicatives, Zeke. Like there's, there's not a ton of these in the New Testament. So the future indicative is a future statement of fact. This is something... That, like, something that's happening in the future. In the middle is action that the subject does to the subject, right? So Paul is saying, in the future, I have to make a decision that will impact me, and I am confident that I don't know which one I will choose. You're like, okay. Now do you see why like, we need some extra words there to help us out? Now, I, I will tell you this. Um, this does not imply that Paul is saying my life circumstances are mine to pick and to choose. So I want to make sure you did not hear me say that, right? Because are your life circumstances yours to pick and to choose? You in charge of what's going to happen today or tomorrow or the next day? Like, no, not at all. Do you get to weigh in on how you respond? Yes, absolutely. Okay, good. A lot of commentators actually think this is a rhetorical question to help the Philippians see how valued they are in comparison to being with Christ. And if that's the case, fine. If that's not the case, fine. But there's just a lot of broken language here. So I don't know which one I, I should choose. I am torn. Now look at the definition for this word torn. It means to hold together, to compress. Does that sound like torn to you? Like, no, why would you translate this torn? Look at the, look, look a little further on. To arrest as a prisoner, to compel, to perplex, to afflict, to preoccupy. The idea here is there are, there are opposing forces, opposing choices that are, that are pressing in on me. And, like, it's making it very tight for me. In our English vernacular, what we would say is, well, I'm torn between those two. So th this, is a, this is a good colloquial uh, euphemism type phrase that really well expresses what the literal text of the Greek says. Because if you translate it literally, it's very wooden and you're, you'd go, wait, what? Like this is, 
this is really challenging to understand here. Uh, so the, I, yes, that's exactly right. And, the, and it's, a, it's a tough decision, right? I mean, one of the words to translate this is to arrest, to like, you don't give prisoners a lot of wiggle room, <laughs> right? This is not the idea. It's, it's a very constrained, confined thing. Uh, so I would actually say that this is a, one of the slickest ways to translate this I have ever seen. It's really nice. So well done, CSP. Uh, so I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between. Now, this is an interesting word to translate this preposition. So if you look at your preposition circle, let's go to the next slide here, Dave. Back on page 11, ek is the preposition here. And prepositions, prepositions denote uh, direction and movement. So like the relationship between where something is and where it's either moving to or where something is related to some other object. So ek means out of or from within. So you're, you've got the circle. This is kind of the object that we are starting, our reference point for movement. And ek starts in it, and it moves out of it. So it's out of or from within. So look at your text again. So I am torn, and what is the CSB translated as? Between. You're like, between? Well, why would they say between? Because that's the euphemism. I'm torn between the two. If you make the... If you make the translation decision to use the word torn, you, you don't really get to say out of. I'm torn out of the two. That makes no sense in English whatsoever. But the idea here is that I am pressed, I am pressed, I am pressed, and I've got to come out of this with some decision between these two. So the literal wooden reading is really complicated. And again, the CSB does a really nice job here. So, uh, I am torn between the two. So, flip back over, if you would, for just a second to go to page 77. I want to show you something in the... Uh, and if I ever teach this lesson again, note to Jim, reorder this and do this first, because this is what I intellectually wanted to talk about the entire time. So, there we go. Um, so, if you look at page 77, and, and I just want you to notice the bottom... We're not going to look at the, the Greeks at the top half. We're going to look at the bottom half. Uh, starting in verse 22, uh, Paul begins to use very short, broken Greek phrases. And it becomes very difficult for the English translators to put this into English for us, which is one of the reasons why if you put up the New King James Version, if you put up the ESV, if you put up half a dozen translations, you will read them and go, did they translate the same text? Like, this is, this is a lot different. And it's because, quite frankly, there's not a lot of Greek here to work with. Uh, and there has to be a lot added in English. And some translations do a really good job. It's actually my favorite thing about the New King James. Uh, my least favorite thing is they use the wrong Greek text. Uh, but my favorite thing is that they use italics uh, to show when you have added something. I, I think the CSB would be like the the bomb diggity, if they just added italics to show us, here's what we added in that is not in the original. But verses 22, verses 23, and verses 24 all have this very broken type language. And Martin does a really good job. Uh, let's go to the next slide there, Dave. Uh, Martin does a really good job of summarizing. I probably read 50 pages on this. It was obnoxious. And I came across this quote, and I was like, yes, he put it in one sentence. 
Uh, the agitation of Paul's mind is clearly uh, to be seen in the broken syntax of his writing. Most of the commentators feel like he is so emotionally engaged in what he is doing that complete sentences are a struggle. Now, that is a big assumption. So I want to hold up a great big sign that says, careful, caution. This is an assumption about Paul's mind that he does not clearly articulate. So let's just be, we're going to take this with half a pound of salt. Okay? Just be aware of that. Uh, yes, sir? Yes, he's a master wordsmith and could convey so much, so well, so thoroughly. Um, it, it's really, really, really impressive. All right, so I'm going to show you one more thing. Let's go to the next slide there. Uh, I'm going to show you one more thing on page 77. So if you would, just underline the word to, there at the, at the, uh, about halfway through verse 23. Underline the word to. So I'm torn between the two. And then, and then the rest of verse 23 is the first of the things that he's torn between. So I have like a number one over the word depart. And then verse 24, so I long to depart and be with Christ. That's one option, which is far better. And then verse 24, but to remain, and I have a number two over the word remain. Remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So those are the two options that Paul is torn between. So I want to make sure that it's not like two what are they? No, he actually explicitly labels them and shows us exactly what they are. So that's, that's really the rest of what we're going to talk about today is those two options. All right, so let's go back to page 82. So he's torn between the two. There have been some pretty smart people in Christianity uh, top of my intellectual list would be St. Augustine. Right? You'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that is, that is a broader, more long-term, comprehensive thinker than Augustine. Uh, and if you haven't read Augustine, what are you doing here right now? Um, I don't know. <laughs> but read some Augustine, it's good for you. Uh, second in my mind is probably the Apostle Paul. Uh, from his ability to weave and connect theological concepts across vast, vast sums of the Old Testament, as well as looking forward eschatologically to the end of all things and connecting those dots. Like, it's just, it's unbelievable. And Paul said he didn't know which one he should choose. He was torn between the two. Yes, ma'am. What would his assumption be about the verdict of the trial if he thought he got a choice? Right. He thought he was going to live. Yeah. And we actually see, and this is one of the reasons that I want to read all of Philippians uh, every week, is because we see in 2, 3, and 4 fairly clear plans that he's got to go see these people again. Like, he, in his mind, there's always a plan, uh, which is another reason I really like Paul. But... Yeah, um, And it's also one of the reasons that many of the commentators believe it might have been a rhetorical question to kind of press away from, I get to pick, I get to choose, look at me, I'm Paul. And that, like, that just wasn't his, that wasn't his mode. Um, 
But at the same time, if one of the smartest people that has ever lived in Christianity had trouble making a decision, stop beating yourself up about tough decisions. Okay? So here's your application. Choices can be tough. It's all right to acknowledge that there are some hard problems in life. It is okay. <laughs> so what do we do with that? All right, I'm introducing a new way for applications today. Because I have two applications for the same, I have two personalizations for the same application. So, applic so personalization 1A. It's not like there's a rule book on this stuff, right? We get to do what we want. Acknowledge it, right? Acknowledge it. And personalization 1B, share it. Paul talks about, in a rather public way, the challenge that he's got making this decision. Because it's his family he's talking to. <laughs> and what do you think the Philippians are going to do about this challenge that Paul's got? Based on what they've already done, what do you think they're going to do for him? Pray for him. That's right. And he knows this because he's already modeled it for them, and he's going to encourage them to do this, and he's going to then later command them to do this. So, yeah. so acknowledge it and share it. It's okay. One of the great things about the Christian life is that we don't have to do it alone. Yay. God doesn't leave us alone with his own presence, and God doesn't leave us alone by ourselves with human presence, which is great. So he's torn between the two. Um, now, look at the very bottom of page 82. What's the, what's the English word at the bottom of page 82? It's hard to see because it's just one letter. I. And what type of a part of speech is that? <laughs> You're like, wait, what? That's right. That's exactly right. Um, this is a present active participle, which means it's a habit. And the, the Greek word is to hold on to. And this word very often does not get translated in English. It's a word that basically, it, what it happens sometimes uh, is, if you flip the page to page 83, uh, the word long is the next English word here. What happens many times is the, the next English word after this will have an ing on the end of it to denote there's some type of a continuity associated with it. And the CSB doesn't do it here. But you get this idea, I long to depart and be with Christ. And this, this holding, this present active participle verb that he has at the bottom of page 82 is ongoing. This is the habit. This has been the habit of his life for a while that he desires to go on and be with Christ. Is that a logical desire for a Christian to have? I desire to be with Christ. Yes, it is absolutely a logical desire to be with Christ. There are some who have taken Paul's words here as advocacy for uh, suicide. That's not what he's talking about because he literally just presented the two choices that he's got in front of him, right? So like, that's not where Paul went. That's not what Paul was talking about. It's not the context of what is going on. It would be completely antithetical to what he says before this and to what he says after this. This is not a suicide-oriented theology. So uh, I long to depart and be with Christ. 
Now, there's something interesting that happens here in the Greek. Uh, if you come down to the along to, the, there's a Greek word right before the English word depart, and it's uh, the definite article ho. There's one article. Let's go to the next quote here, Dave. Um, there's one article for two infinitives. And this is a way in Greek to connect two different things grammatically that don't come over in any way, shape, or form in English when we translate this. So the way both infinitives, to depart and to be, share one article in Greek unites the two together. When Paul thinks of death, he thinks of his union with Christ. Does that make sense? Like this concept of departing and with Christ, that's a connected thought in Paul's mind. We just don't have an English word that, that both means depart and be with Christ. So this is as close as we get. But I think this is a, a beautiful way to, um, to describe this because look at the definition of the word depart. What's the, what's the first little definition there? To break up. What is he physically right now? He's physically chained. So he picks a word that means to break up. So now we're back to Mitch's comment a minute ago. Don't for a second think he's not a master wordsmith. Like, he's really, really good at this. So I long to depart and be with Christ. And think about this for a second from the perspective of the Philippians. So we're on page 84 now. Uh, think about this from the perspective of the Philippians. Let's look at this next quote from Hansen. I told you, this is the Dr. Hansen show today. It is, he is just really, really good. Uh, such, a, such a positive view of suffering and death would have been helpful for Paul's first century readers who were also facing persecution and possible execution for their faith in Christ. Where was Philippi? It was in, the, it was a Roman province, right? Roman territory, Roman city, not province is the wrong one, Roman city. And uh, the Philippian Christians there were not the majority. They were the shocking, shocking minority. They would, have, they would have seen Paul's struggle, like be with us, serve us, have fruitful work for us, or be with Christ, and they would go like, wow, that is, that is amazing. What a neat view of death, right? Um, and then we get into uh, a bit of text that if you translate it literally... It makes the worst English ever. And we're going to lean into that this morning just a little bit. So after Christ, there is a dash and then the word uh, palus. Um, and this word means much. And there's, there's not a, like a simple way to translate this because it means you, you would translate it, uh, I long to depart and be with Christ, much for more better. You're like, well, could we rearrange the words a little? Yeah. Jesus is much more better. So that's our application. Jesus is much more better. <laughs> and I love that Paul used so many words to describe how better Jesus is that it, it doesn't even make sense in our language. It was how many words? Somewhere Gary is going, did somebody just say that's grammatically bad but theologically good? <laughs> I, I feel like he is. Um, so personalizations here. Personalization 1A. I'm really leaning into this today. Why not? Uh, desire to be with Christ. 
Like that is a great desire. It's a really, really good, healthy desire, desire to be with Christ. So application is Jesus is much more better. So what do we do with that? 1A, desire to be with Christ. And then 1B, don't fear death. There's a song that I love to listen to right now. It's just, uh, the worst that can come is to hasten my journey home. Bring it. <laughs> you know, like, why are we terrified? I don't know. Jesus is much more better. <laughs> Somewhere Brian is going, no, Jesus is better. Can we just leave it at that? Because that's just, you know. Uh, so he's far better. Far better. Not just better, but far better. Verse 24 on page 85. But to remain or to stay over. It's almost like... Uh, sleepover language here, but to remain in the flesh. Again, coming back to you, Shanda. Is this the evil, wicked desire? No, no, this is just here on earth, the humanities contrasting the flesh that we have here uh, is, and then the top of page 86, the word is and the word more are neither in the original. Neither is the word sake. It just... It's just necessary through you. I think that's how you would translate it woodenly, which makes no sense in English, so we have to add a little bit there. Is more necessary for your sake. It's more necessary for your sake. Oh, I skipped a... Put up the next one, Dave. There we go. Awesome. So I have added two new commentaries to the list that I'm reading, because why not, right? This is ridiculous. Uh, so one is the Christ-centered exposition, which has turned out to be really good. So these are my, like, go put these in the book in the notes. Uh, and the other is, I have no idea how to say this. This is Latin, Lectio Continua. Say it confidently, and most people will just say, oh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly how you say that, sure. Uh, this is a very, very Reformed Presbyterian view. Uh, and these boys know how to write. Like, it is just gorgeous, gorgeous literature. But I'm going to read you this quote from the uh, Christ-centered. Uh, uh, he says, Everyone wants to live, and everyone will die. But there's only one way to have a life worth living and a death worth dying. And that is to look to the one who conquered death, the one Paul desired to see above all things. There's only one way to have a life worth living and a death worth dying. That'll work. So we're back on top of page 86. Let's look at Dr. Hansen again real quick. It's too forward, Dave. So Paul was willing to delay crossing the finish line in his own race in order to serve the needs of the believers in Philippi. That's heavy. Right? In his mind... There was, like, I don't know which one I should choose because it's, it's necessary for you that I be with you, that I serve you, that, I, that the fruit of my life live out for you. It's gorgeous. Um, I'm only going to read you one, but it's a good one. So this is from the Lectio Continua. You can go back and listen to see if they sounded the same. I have no idea if they sounded the same. 
Uh, Paul embraces here a life of selfless suffering for the sake of the exaltation of Christ, both in his own life and especially in the lives of the people of God. He is committed not just to Jesus, the bridegroom, but to his church, the bride. That is what prizing Christ above all others will do in your heart. It will fill you with joy. It will satisfy life's deepest requirements in a way nothing else can. It will turn death itself into gain, and it will make you into a servant of the church. I don't have much to add to that. Uh, And oh, look, it's 944, so I don't have time to add anything to that, so that's great. So we will, Lord willing, pick up with verse 25 uh, next week. Uh, I do want to draw special attention to the weekly update, though. Um, Thank you, Dave, for hanging with me on all those crazy quotes and movements. Uh, So today is November the 6th, so we did Philippians 22-24. Next week, Lord willing, we'll do Philippians uh, 25 and 26. What about November 20th? What about November 20th? What does it say? There's no Sunday school on November 20th. Now, that does not apply for all the classes. Uh, My family will be in Nashville that that weekend, so um, we will not be here. So no Sunday school that weekend. So if you come on November the 20th, you'll get an opportunity to experience somebody else's class that day uh, because there won't be somebody here speaking. But Lord willing, we'll pick back up on the 27th with verse 27, which I did not time but just now saw and think is really cool. So with that. Uh, So you should have your weekly update there. So if you would, uh, lean in, engage, pray with each other, uh, pray for each other, for those prayer requests. If you have additional prayer requests, please list those there. And uh, those of you online, please put prayer requests in the comments. We'd love to pray for those as well. And with that, you are dismissed to go and to worship the one who is worth living for and to worship the one who is worth dying for. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.